think defense lawyers are great. Welcome to the Georgia Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers podcast with your host, Georgia criminal defense lawyer, Scott Key. But people push back on my father, you know, 40 years ago when he was doing it. That's crazy. And what I'm here to tell you, borrowing from his experience and adding my own is it works every time. The psychology is there. Welcome to the Georgia Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers podcast. Uh, In today's episode, which is episode two, I'll be speaking with Erin Gerstenzang about many topics, including how she runs a paperless office, uh, effective techniques for marketing your law practice using free social media tools, and how she has achieved a fairly effortless workflow of intake for new clients. You'll also learn why it is a good idea to give your cell phone number out to your client. So I hope that you will enjoy this episode as much as I enjoyed producing it with Aaron. As a reminder, GACDL has a CLE seminar coming up on January the 19th and 20th at the State Bar of Georgia in Atlanta with live telecasts to be offered at the bar buildings in Savannah and Tifton, Georgia. We'd certainly love to meet you in Atlanta or uh, to have you guys meet each other as you participate from Savannah and Tifton. Please go to gacdl.org to sign up for this event and to look for other events coming up in 2018. And now I give you Aaron Gerstenzang. All right. Well, I'm here with Aaron Gerstenzang on our very our second Gactel podcast. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. And this is uh, Scott Key uh, doing our uh, second recording. So, uh, so first of all, let's just talk about the space we're in right now. Um, I um, you know, met you at your office here at Pond City Market, and I've had dinner here before. I've shopped here before, but I had no idea these offices were up here. So just kind of like. Obviously, this isn't visual, so just kind of sure. describe where you are. Uh, so we're, we, my office is out of the co-working space, Industrious. Um, we're on the eighth floor. So um, it is actually, they have two floors of a lot of different offices, different sizes, um, and we have a bunch of local companies, a lot of entrepreneurs who are here. Uh, my neighbor is Spotify, so obviously we also have some big companies, uh, but it's sort of a great space where there's a lot, there's always great energy around. People are always working on exciting projects. Um, are you the only lawyer in this space? I am not the only lawyer in this space. My, uh, my, uh, the person who shares the office with me is Marnie Height, um, and we've been here for more than two years now. We were here when they first opened up. Um, and we sort of, uh, it was a little bit spontaneous, but when we saw the space, we, we signed that day. So. And how do clients feel coming in here? Because this is not, this is very cool. This is what I associate with like an internet startup looking sort of a space. There's a lot of, I guess, like conference rooms and air, like sitting areas and things like this. This, this makes me think of like 
every picture I've ever seen in the Google headquarters. <laughs> Does this work for clients? Is that So it's funny. That was one of our concerns, obviously. Both Marnie and I had worked at more traditional law firm offices. And I think that uh, something that we refer to as lawyer think, there's always this expectation of what we think clients expect to see when they come to our office. And so we were a little bit hesitant and reluctant about it. Will clients be wor- worried about paying for parking? Um, what you didn't mention is also my walls are glass. And so they are, mm-hmm. for the most part, transparent. And so there were a couple of concerns that we initially had about, is this going to alienate some of our more um, traditional and conservative clients? And what we found is that our clients are actually really excited to come and be part of it. And more often than not, when my clients come, they also ask for a tour of the space after we're done with the consultation. I, I don't see a single burgundy leather chair like the little light with the little metal tacks any place in here. That's right. There's no um, traditional legal furniture. And we, we made some very particular decisions about that. Um, one thing about our space, because the walls are very transparent, we don't have any signage on our office identifying us as being a lawyer's office because you know in terms of protecting people's privacy we wanted to make sure that you know you're not announcing to the world I'm going to see a lawyer so to the extent that people come and see us and visit with us they wouldn't know what we're talking about and maybe it makes it a little bit more confidential because this is not so obviously a law firm correct and then but there is there was a person that greeted me up front Mm-hmm. And I hope that wasn't just a random person who was working up she there. She was not. We okay. have an amazing support staff. There's actually three very talented women who take such good care of us. Um, and they they manage all the day-to-day things of the office, but also take care of our guests as they come in. All um, right. So tell me a little bit about the kind of practice that you do. I, th- I know, but I... but. Maybe listeners don't. Sure. Well, I have a, my background uh, came from, I spent the first eight years of my practice just doing primarily DUI defense. Um, and that is sort of my background. I worked for George Stein. We were doing motions and trials all the time. I was a great place to get a lot of trial experience. Um, and so then when I went out on my own, uh, I sort of broadened my horizon. So while I still handle a lot of DUI cases, I found that there were a lot of other kinds of problems that I was great at helping people solve. And in particular, um, any kind of drug or alcohol-related offense. I really find that to be very rewarding work where you get to come in and help people who need help. And you're an objective um, but very interested party in, in making, thing, making life successful for them. So. All right, so how do clients find you? Um, clients find me, I think, through a lot of the traditional avenues. Uh, obviously, referrals are my favorite way. Um, but actually, when I went out on my own, that was one of the things that you're very always very nervous about. Um, George did a great, great job of in all the attorneys in his office and encouraging us to be entrepreneurial. You know, George Stein was probably long before I ever decided to go to law school. Was the probably the, I mean, I've grown up with like one call that's all, and you know the stuff like if you're ever sick or you lay out of school or work or something like you you endure those commercials. But honestly, the first lawyer like advertisement that I ever thought was kind of cool was George Stein on the regular guys on 96 Rock back in the late 90s because it wasn't it you know now in the era of podcasts there there are a lot of these ads that sort of like where the people that are doing the podcast will just naturally start speaking the ads oh yeah and they just it sort of integrates into the podcast and I guess like you can listen to old radio spots from like the 40s and like the announcers used to do that sort mm-hmm, of thing. Mm-hmm. But 96 Rock, they would have him on and it, you know, it was always like some, it was almost like, you know, my grandmother, like, um, she had, she subscribed to Ladies Home Journal and there was always this art, there was always this little like running 
column in there called Can This Marriage Be Saved? You know, and it was yeah. always like, it was always some like really um, like horrible problem, but you know that by the time you get to the article, yes, this marriage can be saved. Yep. And so George Stein would always come on the regular guys on 96. I think they've all been fired for some stunt or something. I don't know where those guys are, but <laughs> but um, he would come on there and it was some it was some like impossible sounding DUI. And of course, George Stein solved it. So I mean, I just, and I think a lot of people knew or learned not to take field sobriety tests because they heard George Stein say it. Oh, I bet that's true. So that is, that is some of like the earliest, like really cool legal, I mean, before there really was like social media or podcast oh, yeah. or anything, like George Stein was kind of on the cutting edge. He's a pioneer for sure. And he, he's, his model is a great model even for today's lawyer, um, even in a different, maybe not necessarily on radio, but um, in the different channels of communication because he went to where he was rare, where we didn't have a voice, you know, he didn't go to a bunch of lawyer seminars to talk about legal stuff. He went on air and he talked about really interesting stuff. And I'll say from working in his office, people come in and they just adore him. Um, so in terms of reaching people before they even know that they need your services and converting them into being fans, he's he's just absolutely brilliant. Because that's always been the challenge for me because I've always been interested in marketing. I mean, I have a blog. I'm starting to podcast, but that's part of Gactyl, not necessarily my own marketing. But, um, you know, everything you ever read as a lawyer, like, like the ABA journal or anything you ever read about marketing your law practice, it just seems to not be applicable to criminal defense. So you hear things like, well, go to Rotary Club or go to Kiwanis, you'll meet your clients there. (laughs) I'm not meeting my clients at Rotary or Kiwanis or, you know, these traditional like, um, I was about to say something, I was about to say something stereotypical, but about Rotary and Kiwanis, but, um, if I was if I was gonna if I were gonna write wills or I wanted to do a lot of closings, I mean, I suppose I could get another bank president or the like the run the guy that runs the mortgage company. But I mean, maybe the guy that runs the mortgage company could get a DUI or a son could get in trouble. Sure. But like, we can't hang. You know, or I've always heard like go to work, go to places where your clients work. We shouldn't do that. Yeah. No, that's not. I we, we I would sh- not follow that model always. Necessarily. Do not go to the meth lab. <laughs> Probably not. Not the best place to start. I would say. Um, no, but there, but there are ways, and, and I think that this is something that lawyers struggle with in particular because we're not also the type of people that the legal profession attracts. Rose. We're not, we're, we're not the kind of people who think outside the box, right? That's not necessarily that we're we're really strong on creative. And, and if we ever did think that way, law school, the first year of law school, took it out of us. It did, it did, and and also part of the problem because we're not used to thinking that way. When we do try to think out of the box and take you know creative stabs at advertising, sometimes it really backfires in a really terrible way. Um, So I think lawyers are in particular an interesting group because we're starting to come to grips with the fact that, hey, we we need to have an online presence and we need to be marketing. But how do you do that? And it's not just taking a billboard and putting it online and saying, well, I'm online and this is how I'm going to market. Okay. So suppose I'm a a criminal defense lawyer. I'm, I'm, I'm a public defender. And I'm, I'm ready to go out on my own. I want, I want to start my own solo practice. Or maybe a colleague of mine in the public defender's office, we're about to jump. We're about to, we're about to do this. But we are frightened. Like if, or, or like we're working for a person that we've worked for for years and we're ready to kind of go out on our own. But we're frightened. Like when we get out and we get set up and we have our high back leather chair set up and we have our phone turned on, you know, I remember when I went out on my own, the fear was... What if that phone never rings? Like, right. What if what what do I so if if if, if you're talking if you're talking to me and I'm not assistant public defender, what what are some things that I can do 
to, to sort of help make success? I mean, you can't guarantee success ever, but what, what are some things we could, what are some things I can do as I'm getting started to market myself in a way that's tasteful uh, and effective right. and, and, and ultimately successful. Right. I'm glad you asked this question because I actually mentor a couple of women who are going solo or have gone solo and, and they are public defenders, a, a bunch of them. Um, so it's not, a, what I, there's an advantage to being in that position and planning to go out because what I find from a lot of people's perspective, some of these attorneys are more prepared than the actual practicing attorneys who are out there in the field. They're more organized, they're mm-hmm. setting up systems, they're looking at case management software, where they're sort of really thinking ahead in a way that a lot of the practitioners that we know are not necessarily there because they're buried in work. So there's some advantage in, in being able to start from a clean, a clean slate. But in terms of marketing, um, the thing that uh, lawyers, there's a couple of reasons, and we look at social media, and social media is this amazing opportunity because first and foremost, it's free. Right, and if you're just starting out, you don't have a marketing budget, and you don't, you mean, you may not even know what to do with it if you had it. Um, but Social media really provides this platform, and not necessarily for traditional advertising the way we usually think about it, but really for um, networking with a much broader reach. Because if you're in the public defender's office, you have a lot of people cheering you on. You have, over the course of your career, you know, you've developed allies. Judges are going to be cheering you on for the most part. Your, uh, your colleagues are going to be cheering you on and referring cases to you. So one of the most important things you can do is make sure that you're present on social media and you're consistently present because you don't want to think about marketing as, I need to go out and directly communicate with my clients because that's not what social media marketing is for lawyers and it's frankly not usually what it is in the real world outside of the internet. That's not how we market. We all go to networking events, right? We're not going to these networking events with a bunch of other lawyers because we're hoping they're gonna hire us. Mm-hmm. We go to them to make sure that we're visible and, and, and chat and we're social and likable and in all likelihood those people will refer cases to us. So social media is the same. So just having that presence and I think um, there's a lot of fear and anxiety about that and what do I say? And so you want to you want to make sure you're on the right channel. So let me back up just a sec. Okay, sure. you, so you, you know what you were about to go where I was about to ask. Oh, okay. Which is when you say social media, what do you mean? Okay. Yes. Let's be more specific. Okay. So I think there's three very traditional channels that any lawyer, whether you're starting out or you're still practicing, you need to be on, um, which is Twitter, and you need to be on Facebook and LinkedIn. And there's a couple of different reasons, and there's those are different audiences, and you know what you're going to do in those spaces. You're not going to do the same thing on each and every channel, but you need to be there because th- those are for a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, just uh, in terms of SEO, search engine optimization, uh, Google expects you to be there. So when you want to think about, hey, I do want eventually my, my law firm to be ranking mm-hmm. on that first page of Google. Google, as part of its analysis to determine what businesses are real and which businesses are they going to recommend, they're looking not just at your website, but of course they're looking at these other channels of social media because in 2017, if you're a real business, you have social media presence. If I'm the public defender and I'm I'm leaving, and let's just say I already have Twitter set up. I'm Scott Key on Twitter. Do I need, is that fine? Can I, or do I need to set up a professional persona as well? It depends on the kind of um, audience. If you have a huge following, like uh, I was talking to um, Christine Kohler recently, and she has this huge following on Facebook, and she can post something on Facebook, and then she gets a hundred or two hundred responses to, you know, a simple question. So I can tell you what 
Christine Kohler's daughter did at school. Like, exactly. Yeah. Right. And that isn't that she's always top uh-huh. of mind. It's not, and she's not necessarily doing it to be strategic, but she's got this huge platform already. So if you're somebody who has the mm-hmm. kind of following like Christine mm-hmm. Kohler, mm-hmm. then I think there are really good reasons to, to stick with that and try to, to keep the, the Christine Kohler brand as opposed to the brand of her law firm. You, are you concerned at all? Like if, if, if I have like lots of pictures of my kids events on social media and suddenly um, I'm starting a practice where I'm like defending sex crimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, I, I should wor- I, I probably should worry about those things more. I really, I've never had a problem. My, my Twitter persona, I don't have a professional and uh, personal like because I was I was on Twitter before I went out on my. Own. I mean, sure. I, I've been on Twitter since the very beginning. Yeah, then you definitely want to keep that. And profile. so I wouldn't. And I've start and I tried to set up like a professional persona, and like it never took off. Right. But but you know but my Twitter my Twitter handle that I already use is pretty, but you know what I don't put kids stuff on Twitter as much right and so and Twitter is not really the channel for kids right stuff. and I think you know I think that probably two or three or five years ago the advice would be keep it personal you know keep the personal separate from the professional and I think with the kids stuff you know you've got to you've got to figure out personally where you're going to draw the line but in today's world people are blending those two worlds so frequently that. Um, that I, I don't think that there's any right way to do it necessarily. I personally don't put my daughter in a lot of public social media right. channels, you know, but I, I will reference being a mom and I don't think that... I'll do it on Facebook and, and but I'm not, I don't, you know, some people who are friends of mine on Facebook, I have a lot of Facebook friends and I, I wouldn't say that I, I've never thought about it. I, I have gotten people call me, who've called me from Facebook that are friends with me already, but I don't really... I'm not explicitly, I'm not, you know, I'm not really explicitly marketing anywhere. Even on Twitter, I'm not going to tweet and go, if you get, if you get arrested today, you know, you know if that's you right. get convicted of a crime, call. I mean, I don't, I think that's a turnoff. That, it's a huge turnoff. Mm-hmm. And we all know it's a turnoff because people, our colleagues who do it in our feeds and our social media feeds, we mute them, right? Like, and I might love this lawyer, but he's probably delegated his social media to an SEO consultant who's handling his Twitter feed. Just like if you were at a GACDL event or a bar function mm-hmm. and someone came up to you and like handed you his business card who didn't or, introduce himself and said, Hey, if you ever want to, ha- if you ever want to associate someone in a, on a drug case, I'm, I'm your guy. I mean, you'd probably say, get away from me. That's exactly right. Yeah. And you touch on such an important point that, that once that is easy for lawyers to understand once they hear it, which is social media is really just networking, right? And beyond just like handing you the card, guess what? You never want to hear another lawyer talking about you never want to hear them talking about their work, right? Like, right. it doesn't matter how exciting the facts of the case are, and you and I do criminal work, it's like all sex and drugs. It mm-hmm. should be interesting, but if I'm telling you about my case, your brain immediately stops listening because there's nothing more boring than a lawyer talking about non-lawyers their Non-lawyers always want to know. La- non-lawyers do, but, but, at these, <laughs> yeah. but a big part of our network are lawyers. Right. And so you want to think about, hey, the guy who talks about his work at a networking event, oh, you wouldn't believe the verdict I just got. You politely excuse yourself to go to the bathroom, and then you spend the rest of the time avoiding that person. Yeah, I'm going over to the bar. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you want to hang out with the person who's really interesting, probably a good lawyer, but not talking about the legal work. Honestly, you, this is just old school, how to win friends and influence people yeah. kind of stuff. You actually want to talk to the person that's asking a lot of questions about you. Yes, that is <laughs> right? definitely true yeah. as well. And that's an important component to um, being successful in social media is engaging the audience. And, and asking questions is one of the best ways mm-hmm. to get that engagement mm-hmm. where you give them something other than to just like. You know, just like, well, there's nothing for them to say. Okay, so I set up my Twitter. I set up, or if I'm on Facebook, I may just 
be intentional, a little bit more intentional about it. Well, and you, but I, on Facebook, you do want to have a professional page. You want to have a pro, and what's the pay, what's the difference between a page and a profile? Um, well, so you have your personal profile, and I'm going to go ahead and confess something. I, for years, have been ghosting as my husband's um, <laughs> profile under Facebook because I'm actually a pretty big introvert. So the whole idea of coming out and being out on social mm-hmm. media and lots of pictures of me reporting what I'm doing makes me very do, uncomfortable. I bet people don't believe you when you say you're an introvert. People don't believe me sometimes. People don't believe me either. But, but, <laughs> but, and I love speaking, and I love being in the courtroom, but that, to me, is a lot different than my private life being on display. So um, it was very uncomfortable for me to do that, but I've, I've always run my business profile and because I had my husband's account. So if you have a Facebook account, you can create a business page mm-hmm. and you want to have that. And again, for those same reasons that Google is going to be looking for it. It's not super effective in most business pages on, on Facebook because of the algorithms that they're using. Mm-hmm. They're going to hide most of the content. So you're not really putting the content on your Facebook business page to think, I'm going to reach a new audience. You're putting it there so that it's really a a token of credibility because when a client is referred to you when people want to see what your firm is about they will go and visit it and that's where you're going to get a lot more of the useful traffic maybe even more important than your actual web page like your brochure yes um, and what you'll hear in a lot of these like marketing uh for for just businesses small businesses is hey even there's a trend and there's advice out there that I'm not sure how I feel about, but there's this trend to say, hey, don't spend you know, all this money on your website. That's not, where, that's not where the people are. People are on social and spend most of your time and energy there. Okay, so LinkedIn. What am I going to do on LinkedIn? So LinkedIn, I was very reluctant. I never understood what, why LinkedIn was valuable. So I let's talk about that. That's good. I still don't quit. It's almost okay. like... You know, I read somewhere that, that people are using LinkedIn as, as a dating site. Oh, I have not, I've not seen that, but I believe that yeah. because... Why wouldn't they? Um, I have to say, so my husband's in the technology world and technology um, strategy and innovation space. And for years, he would use LinkedIn constantly. He's like, whether he was getting a job or hiring someone, that is a place where those people congregate. And what when the light bulb went off for me a couple of years ago, because I never really maintained LinkedIn. I wasn't there. It didn't seem I wasn't looking for a job. So why would I be on LinkedIn? It seems super corporate. It seems super corporate. until, mm-hmm. And it, it can be. But until you get on there, when it dawned on me was I said, well, well, I, my, a lot of my clients are professionals, working professionals, and it finally clicked for me that to them, LinkedIn is so much part of their day-to-day work to find, to consider hiring another professional who does not have a LinkedIn profile, that that was going to be signaling a message, you know, this is sort of designed by default. That was not the, the experience that I wanted them to have when they were researching me to see, is this going to be a lawyer I want to work with? You know, I found where LinkedIn was effective not really so much for marketing, but there, if I've tried to, I've tried to reach out to somebody particular at the parole board or the department mm-hmm. of corrections. Mm-hmm. And I found that by, by, by linking to somebody on LinkedIn, yeah. I was able to sort of get past some gatekeepers. Yeah. Yeah. And you can even check their profile, just be top of mind so that they're curious about you mm-hmm. just in the same way that you're curious about them. So LinkedIn, you have to have it just if, if you want to have clients who, who are on it because it really does there's a stigma attached to people especially professionals who are not on LinkedIn and it wasn't even a bias I was aware of until I started so those are the big it. those are the big three those are the big three the must that you you've got you to have, have a to presence have there okay um, and then I think uh, if you want to be really strategic uh, what the advice right now is you need to be on Instagram that if you're on Instagram now a year from now you're gonna be really happy that you are okay so I'm on Instagram I'm 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 Instagram is really big for me personally. I have not figured out what in the world to do with Instagram 
from a professional perspective? Yeah. Help me out with that. Uh, it's tough. So it's funny. Um, I uh, shout out to Ben Sessions, who's one of my good friends, and he. No, I know. I always know where Ben is having coffee. You do. Yeah. He's he's very active on Instagram, and I believe he has he blends both personal and professional on his account, um, and I think he does that very nicely. Um, but he and I he dragged me to an Instagram workshop at down at Switchyards in Atlanta, which is a great place for startups. And we were there with a bunch of like interior decorators and people who had all kinds of cool jobs, none of whom were lawyers. And we we were engaging and they the women who were running the program, they were like, well, we don't really know what to tell you about how to use uh-huh. Instagram for lawyers. Uh, so but um, it was good and it was informative to be there. And uh, I actually, I got on Instagram. I had sort of a, 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 a fake account or a real account that I was just practicing with before. Is this your I, salad account? This is my, yeah, this is my, <laughs> my salad account. Um, you, the, some beautiful pictures of salads, though. There are. Uh, so I, I spent a lot of time, <laughs> yes, I spent a lot of time uh, preparing a lot of raw fruits and vegetables. So uh, that was just sort of the, I needed to get accustomed to Instagram. I wasn't going to just launch into a business account. I'm an introvert. I like to be very careful and studied before, in practice before I do things. So um, I got on it to just sort of learn Instagram and I would advise lawyers who are not on Instagram get to know that space because again, the, the kind yeah, of thing so you're that you're there doing post. something completely unrelated to law. I was there to just, just learn just it. Just to learn the mm-hmm, tool. Mm-hmm, just That's to learn the tool. Um, because you want, you know, I know enough about social media to know you don't, it's very obvious when you're striking the wrong tone and, and you're you a newbie. Up, and if you mess up with salads, no harm done. Correct. Yeah. If you mess up, well, and, and it let me try to join a, a certain group on, the, you know, there's, mm-hmm. there's a bunch of crazy, I'm not the only crazy person. So let me join a community on Instagram and sort of see how does that work. Um, so that was what I did. Uh, and what I discovered for lawyers, the lawyers who are being most successful on Instagram, you don't want to think about it. Again, it's not that you're trying to reach my clients who are struggling with drug and alcohol addiction. And I'm not, you know, so what you'll see a lot of lawyers try are pictures of handcuffs. Oh, and, right, like call, and, and when you think about it again, think about it, that networking example, the physical networking example of you don't want to talk, don't talk about your work. That's not pictures actually of handcuffs, interesting. Pictures of white guys shaking hands, like, or a bunch of hands, like in a, that's right. Or, or, or like you and your law and your staff in front of some law books and no one's over right dressed like a lawyer just like everybody knows a lawyer is dressed doing what everybody knows lawyers do right like that is we love to oh here i am in a courthouse and it's that's not interesting because here's a picture of a gavel right like (laughs) how many pictures of doctors and white lab coats do you need right that's not compelling to people and instagram really maybe even more so than the other channels and this is what we got out of the workshop i was like oh well you're you're just here to be entertaining right you're not instagram is not about being informative you're not trying to save the world you're not trying to help people or give them information you're there to be entertaining and maybe give them some insights about people you. love photographs of whatever prison i'm about to walk in so mm-hmm. I, do, I do a lot of post-conviction mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i mean i do some trial stuff but i do a lot of post-conviction a lot of direct appeals so i'm i'm in south georgia yeah at prisons all the time yeah and not only am i at prisons all the time but I'm at some, like, I know the best places to eat in every South Georgia town. Yep. People love it when I snap a picture of, like, some barbecue place That's in right. Camilla. That's right. Or, like, pictures of 
pictures of a barbed wire fence, like, oh, look at this, another glamorous day. Right. People love that. They do, because that's interesting, uh-huh. right? And that's rare. That's something that they don't necessarily, you're, it's not you in a suit doing a thing that they know lawyers do. It's That is an interesting part of our work, and nobody uh-huh. ever sees those prisons. You know, right. I don't see those prisons. That's actually really interesting to me, because that's not where I spent. It's oddly fun. Yeah, no, I bet it is. <laughs> yeah. That's why it's so successful mm-hmm. on Instagram. You actually have to find the fun, cool, interesting things to talk about. And it doesn't have to be one thing lawyers struggle with is they're so on the nose. You know, like it's oh, the gosh. advertising's like, oh, I have to have it's bottles so of alcohol in this. And it's like, how can you like that? You can't support that as a community. You may, that might be your friend. You might want to like them, but you feel very weird liking something that's so dark and dire. Um, so you want to bring humor. And um, the, another thing that's really sort of uncomfortable for lawyers, but when you start looking at the lawyers who are really just killing it on Instagram, the interesting content is not your work. It's not even your office. It's it's you. Like the most interesting content is you. So you see a lot of lawyers taking po- posting a lot of photos of themselves, which is also something is not my favorite. But I'm 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 also a business person, so mm-hmm. I'm wrapping my head around. They want to know what are you up to? What kind of person would you be like to work with? What do you think is funny? And of course, you're always walking that line. It's you don't you don't need to picture yourself being <laughs> you know drunk at a party, uh, but you need to figure out a way to strike that right tone. So the barbecue spot where you eat lunch, that's a perfect example of that's mm-hmm. interesting. You're, you're doing something related to work. It's, it's somewhat relevant, but it's mostly interesting. Right, right. Okay, so what about blogging? Blogging mm-hmm. has been very important for me. Yeah. Do, do, would you, but I don't, I, don't, I don't see it being what it was five years ago. I agree with that. Um, I would say that I, I've fallen off the wagon on my own personal blogging, but the blogging that I have done, I still, it draws in a ton of clients when I'm blogging, when I blog to people's pain points, right? And that's what's really important. And and I struggled with it and I didn't realize what, you know, when you start out, you're not sure. It's sort of like just the kitchen sink, like try everything, what's going to resonate with people. Um, but when you really start identifying their pain points and speaking to it, one thing a mistake I see lawyers make all the time with their blogging and their websites is they love to hide the ball and they love to not actually give you advice about mm-hmm. how to solve the problem. The advice is make sure this is all very complicated and difficult, so make sure you call uh, an experienced attorney to discuss. Oh, yeah, like, I'm going to write some paragraph and I'm going to get sued over it. Right, yeah. <laughs> well, and it's partly that, but in part, it's mm-hmm. like I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to give I'm you the help. This, yeah. Right, I'm not giving it away for free. And the problem with that is mm-hmm. it's very inauthentic and the reader can pick up on it immediately. The consumers of 2017 are far more sophisticated than they were even 10 years well, ago. Well, and I think I think if you talk in a if you talk in a meaningful way about legal topics, I don't I think people are going to be informed by it. I think it's a rare person that's going to go, "Oh, well, I don't need you now. I'm not going to go into court and do this." Right. They're not going to do that. No. They they they're going to they're going to be informed cuz the law's mysterious if you've never been on that side. But are of you it. kidding? Going to court? Like, I, I all the time give all the advice away for free, whether it's on the phone or I'm like, hey, you could go to court. You could try. And we're talking about misdemeanors right. or traffic citations or what have you. Try. Talk to the prosecutor. Let me know how that goes. If, if things go poorly, you could always get a reset and come hire an attorney. And a huge proportion of those people end up calling back and saying, okay, I tried it. You know, actually helping people. People know if you're trying to be helpful. You know helpful. the odd thing? The... I've had these meetings with clients where I've sat down with them and I've said, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think this is going to work. You're like, what, what you're asking me to do, you know, or like, do you think this habeas is going to be granted if yeah. I do it? Or do you think this appeal, I'm going to win? 
and I'll always and I very often said, look, I don't I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna tell you it's hopeless. I think it's a long shot. I think any appeal is a long shot. I think this may, it's more likely not going to work out than work out. I find that client wants to hire me. Oh yeah. Well, and what they're picking up on is not the content of what you're saying. Authenticity. This is somebody I can trust. And you know, we don't often do a lot of design thinking in law firms, and mm-hmm. we don't put ourselves in the customer, the client's shoes, and we don't even think of them as customers, mm-hmm. but they mm-hmm. are. Um, and it's you know, I, when I talk to criminal defense attorneys, they're like, oh, don't talk to me about the customer journey. The customer journey is I'm keeping them out of jail, right? And th- it's a very short-sighted approach to how we should oh, be. You can you can win a trial. And a client will hate Correct. you. Correct. You, you, can, you can lose huge. And, and they'll love you. And they'll love you if you were yeah. with them through the, through and, the process. And it's, uh, it's funny that you talk about that because um, Malcolm Gladwell, actually, in Blink, he talks about, he, did, he looked at um, statistics of lawsuits in the medical field. And what he expected, of course, to see was that highly incompetent doctors were being sued for malpractice the most often, and then the most competent doctors were not. And he found, though, what was troubling, had nothing to do with it. In fact, you could be a completely incompetent, you know, the medical care is super shoddy, uh, but but they love Dr. Jones. But, oh, well, we would never sue Dr. Jones, whereas um, you have these top-notch surgeons who have terrible bedside manner, and they're they're going to sue every single time. And what did they report? Like, what were the things that they reported? They reported being ignored feeling rushed or treated poorly. Mm. And when you apply that to the legal field, we all spend enough time in court, we see it happen all the time. When we see some of the best lawyers we know, like the lawyers that we think of as being the best lawyers, we often think of those who are performing in court. But we, you see how they treat their clients sometimes, and, and that's what the clients care about. As it mm. turns out, if you believe Malcolm Gladwell, like they, they almost care more about the experience of working with you than the outcome itself. Now. If they're looking at years in prison, that calculus might change, but really that is where humans are social beings and that's what they're picking up on. And lawyers for years have behaved as if it doesn't matter, that's that's Mm touchy-feely, that's not part of my work. Um, And it's actually increasingly much more important to the practice of law than ever before. All right, so shifting gears. Okay, so I'm not not the public defender going out on my own. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm an overwhelmed lawyer mm-hmm. yeah. in, in a solo practice or a small firm practice and I feel like I'm just I'm, I'm being hypothetical right now sure I, I feel like I'm just working all the time but it's just not working out right and then you know just things aren't things aren't working for me things aren't clicking people aren't really finding me yeah. what, what do yeah. I do what basically I, described 50% of my close friends who right. are solo <laughs> practitioners I mean that's a huge segment and I think this is uh, I've gotten very involved in the legal tech community and mm-hmm. this is something um, that I when I went out on my own uh, I went from having four secretaries to I had to figure out a way to have none because I sort of believe in a new model of the, the law firm where you don't have so much so overhead do you have any employees I do not okay. no so Someone, someone like finds you. They call it. Like, what happens? Um, so I've automated my process. I'll, I'll share my onboarding process, which was really the key to making everything streamlined on paperless, as you can see in my office. Um, but so when someone calls me, I'm I'm the point of contact, obviously, and often I do a lot of that intake when I'm driving to court, even, and I'm in the car, uh, and I did I, I, I close a lot of a lot of clients on the phone. And that's just an important, it's a great skill to mm-hmm. have mainly because it's a time saver. Um, but also, you know, you can get to the heart of the issue very quickly with mm-hmm. clients and you know, you need to be able to convey to clients that you're genuine, that you're going to help, and that you're the right person. 
Uh, but I'll close on the phone and they'll say, okay, Aaron, I'm, I'm sold. Like, what are the next steps? Where, how do I sign up? And I found uh, that this is a huge bottleneck for lawyers. Uh, that it, the process of getting, okay, I got to get a fee agreement. I got to get the payment. I've got to get your intake information. So that's what I've automated. Um, so when they say I'm ready to sign up, I tell them, okay, well, why don't you go ahead and you text me your full name and your email address and I'll get you an electronic fee agreement. You can review it and sign it from your phone. After that, you'll be directed to a new client intake form where you're gonna fill out all of your personal information and all of your concerns and upload any paperwork that you have. So they've already shared a lot of their concerns with Mm -hmm. me, but I'm driving. Um, So this gives them an opportunity to to put it in writing. They submit that. That actually, I have that integrated with Clio, which is the case management software that I use. Uh So that instantly will populate my case management software. So I have their address, I have everything I need to know in the system. Um, immediately, Are you and using I'm, like a portal with, with, within Clio. Is that what you're? Uh, so I will use portals, but this I well I use the um, I use Zapier actually to integrate to allow all my applications okay. to talk to one another. Okay. Uh, and, I'm a uh, Rocket Matter guy. Okay. S- similar thing. So yeah. I'm a huge Clio fan, but uh-huh. <laughs> um, and then I send them an electronic invoice. So by the time that I arrive in court to the court that I'm driving to that morning, I have um, I've been paid. I have a signed fee agreement, and I have all the notes. The only thing I have to add to open the file, because I'm paperless, is my my thoughts about our intake, and I can do that quickly when I get back to the office. And this is and this is all this is an automated process. All automated process. Yeah. Are they dialing your cell phone number? Uh huh. They are. So you're not using Ruby or... I'm not... I I do like Ruby. Let me say that I'm a huge fan of Ruby. Um, I think they do excellent work. Ruby is a service that allows... It outsources your secretarial service. My friends who use Ruby, on the rare occasions that I do call their office, I'm often duped that they're a real secretary and not not remote. So they're great. They're just very expensive. So they're calling you directly. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, clients are calling me directly. They always have. And uh, you were teasing me about this recently, Scott, because I think that you're oh, no, a little I, bit... <laughs> I really want to know. Okay. I, I know we're ready So let me now. give you some background okay. to my approach to this, because I, I, I've been told it's not surprising for me. So I grew up, both my parents are criminal defense attorneys, um, and I grew up working in their office, you know, when I was 12, or even maybe even earlier, taking calls. Mm-hmm. Uh, the outgoing voicemail on my father's office, and they have a very successful practice, Ever since I was a child, says, you know, hi, you've reached the law offices of Gerson Zhang, O'Hearn Hicken, Gerson Zhang. Um, if this is an emergency, you can reach me on my home phone at 518-439-0157. So as very young children, we are trained to take client calls at home. Was and that so, his real number that you just said? Yeah, that was his yeah. real number. You can call his office today. It's actually still on the outgoing message. Um and so th- those barriers, those traditional barriers between personal and, and, and professional life just never really entered my mind. But, there, but there's magic to that. And the psychology is clients were so respectful of my father's time when they did need to reach him. What clients really need to know, I mean, they're paying lawyers thousands of dollars up front, not for a guarantee. We're not guaranteeing anything. You right. know, there's no, there's no outcome that we're promising. We're promising that we're going to join your team, that you have a problem that you can't solve on your own, and you're hiring a teammate to come on and help you solve that. Mm-hmm. And when you put up these artificial barriers, they get anxious. Is this person really on my team if I have to go through a secretary mm-hmm. to reach mm-hmm. them? Uh, so one thing that I found is the more accessible you are to your clients, the less they need you and the less they reach out to you. So my clients all have my cell phone. They rarely ever reach out to me on the weekend. Um, I love being able to text with my clients. They often have questions. Do you have a talk with them about that? Do you do you set parameters? No, I actually, quite the opposite. In consultations, I say, hey, 
just so you know, this is my cell phone. Let me be clear. If you need to reach me, you mm-hmm. reach me. This is, I don't want to hear, oh, Aaron, I didn't want to bother you over the weekend. This is why I'm giving you my cell phone. If you need to reach me, I want you to reach out. And if I'm busy, I'll just let you know I'm busy and I'll get back to you later. Um, so you're at a soccer game. You're mm-hmm. like, you know, you're, I don't know, you're, you're out doing something. You're with friends. You're at dinner. Yeah. Scott, I've been doing this for 12 okay. years. It almost never happens. Okay. And if they reach out to me and I text them, and if I see the phone come up and I text them, hey, I'm out at dinner. Is there an emergency? Do you need me? And usually it's no. You know, okay. that's just when they had time to call. And these clients appreciate that. They know you're on their side when they have easy access to you. Okay. Think about it. Wouldn't it be great if you could text your doctor, right? If you could text your doctor, would you blow them up all the time? You probably I would, wouldn't. I would. I would very. Yeah. I would be very careful about it. Yeah, you would be. But but I would be so happy. I it would be, be like, so oh great, God, wouldn't he's it? He's the nicest. Great. He's the nicest guy in the world. Yeah. Even if you. I mean, not. That, but but that is what you care about as a consumer. But as you know a what? Patient. My wife's doctor mm-hmm. is a close friend of mm-hmm. ours. Our children hang. Our children spend the night at. at sure. At, we like they're the same age, and so we've gone on vacations together. But she's my wife's doctor. Yeah. You know what? Now that you think about now, now that you mentioned it, I mean, I think she maybe has texted her for some medical stuff. But You're she's very careful, but right? She's super careful. You're about so it. respectful. Like if we're at dinner, she's not gonna say, "Hey, I've got this thing I wanted to." I mean, yeah, not really. Yeah, it's a huge customer service, and I, you know, you ask, "Hey, how do you get your clients?" And it's funny because I did all of these systems and I put these in place sort of for efficiency and for me. But what I found is it's an incredible competitive advantage. I bet you get incredible pushback on that though when you tell people. Like about, about lawyers, that. yeah, lawyers. Um, yeah, no, that's always been true. And, but people push back on my father, you know, forty years ago when he was doing it. That's crazy. And what I'm here to tell you, like mm-hmm. borrowing from his experience and adding my own, is it works every time. The psychology is there, and um, you know, I think that there's also there's two things I talk about. Uh, not just the phone calls, but the early, especially giving those clients that care that they need within those first two weeks of hiring. What a lot of lawyers do is they'll dote on the client during the consultation and promise you the moon, and then they pay you, and then you know nothing's happening on the case for months. So those calls, those incoming calls come in, but you've got other cases on fire, so you may be slow to respond or secretary, call this person back. Yeah, and you loved me while you were trying to get my money, and now... That's right, and this mm-hmm. is the, those two weeks after they hire, this is your that's opportunity for client management. Which is, I take those two weeks, anytime a client, especially a new client, reaches out to me, I prior, even if I can't fully answer their question, I text them, hey, I'm in court, I will call you tonight, I'll let you know. If I respond immediately during those two weeks, the rest of the life of the representation with that client is easy sailing. They know that they can get me, we've established, they know, okay, I've given you your, the money to a lawyer who people naturally distrust, right? Mm-hmm. Like they know that lawyers aren't trustworthy. Um, but you have those two weeks to prove to them, even for the most small, you know, seemingly Especially. insignificant matters. It's a strategic client management approach. And it, it I, everybody has my cell phone. They always have for 12 years. I've never had a problem, not one day. And neither has my father. Okay. Yeah. So, all right. So I, I, I was, Try it. <laughs> you so can I, experiment. So I'm experimenting with this one. Initially enough, like when we were talking about setting this interview up yesterday, I told you, I'm, I'm, I told you about it. A little bit, like about an hour later, a couple like this this client started blowing up my phone. Now, what I what I did what I did say is, listen, I really can't. I went, I texted her and I said, I really can't answer your question right now. Tomorrow, we will, I promise you, first thing we'll get to the bottom of this. Right. Call my assistant, and it, it, it's, it turns out the bonding the, the the bonding company 
found out that there was a court date set yeah. before I did. Don't, don't you love those calls? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it turns out it was nothing. It sure, out, of course. It turns out it was something we could wait. Well, it was nothing for you, but it was a lot for it that client. It freaked her out. Of course but, but you it know does. what? I guess it was nice that she was able... She knew that she could raise the flag, right? You knew about it. If there was a concern, you would certainly be getting back to her. But since it's not, right, they, it's not even about answering the question. It's just about being there you and know responding. What? And I, I suppose there's. this is more about me than the client. Sure. I want to solve it right now. Like, yeah. I, w- I want mm-hmm. to figure out what this mm-hmm. is and give her a definitive answer. Right. And I guess they're not really looking for that. They're no. just looking to hear you go, okay, I got it. They have Listen, no one else in the world we'll, to share this news with. We'll There's get, nobody else on their team for this problem. You are the only person. And when we aren't responsive or when we put a secretary in between us um, during office hours between 9 and 5, well, then they're really out there on their own. Mm-hmm. And they don't need the answers. They just need to be in it with someone. And, and, and a lot of times they want to talk to you. Yeah. Even if... You are the one they paid thousands of dollars to. Even if the secretary probably knows more than you do, Mm -hmm. they want to hear it from you. Well, and that's what those magical two weeks, if they hear it from you for the first two weeks of representation, you can then very competently delegate those calls to your secretary because they know they can get you. And so they don't mind dealing with your secretary. And we found that was very true when I did have And if they feel like they're being, you know, they're falling, like they're getting screened, heavily Mm -hmm. screened, Mm -hmm. they know. And they get angry, and then we all know when we have a client who's irritated and has called three times, you're not joyously picking up the phone to return that call, right? It's now... In fact, you're going to procrastinate. You're procrastinating, Mm -hmm. you're cringing, you're irritated with this person now that you're supposed to be helping. And that, Mm -hmm. you know, is a big part of it, too, is, hey, if if all of your clients are happy, then you're probably going to like all of your clients, right? There's this funny relationship with the clients who love us. We somehow always love those clients back. And if you could cultivate a client experience with where all of your clients were happy mm-hmm. and feeling taken care of, well, then you're going to have a lot fewer sleepless nights. You're going to have a lot fewer of those co- those conversations or phone calls that you're dreading at the office because you're, you know, you put it at the bottom of your list. We've all been there. Like, oh, I don't want to deal with that person. Um, and that's a terrible relationship to be stuck in, mm-hmm. representing someone who doesn't like you and they know you don't like them. And now you have to give them really important legal advice. So how do you process your emails and texts? Do you just is there so like say you've got a brief due or mm-hmm. you're preparing for trial tomorrow and you know you've you've given clients incredible access and you know you don't want to get distracted while you're you know you're you're kind of getting in, getting into a deep focus or mm-hmm. whatever. How do you how do you manage that? Um, I think there's a couple of ways. Organization is something that I, I love. Um, uh, so it's not, I can't speak to it as a, a point of weakness. It just, it, it is something that, um, Oh, I'm obsessed. Yeah. So like there's like, there's stuff on Pinterest about it. Like, you know, there's a whole subculture. Oh yeah. Like bullet journals and stuff <laughs> That's like that. right. Yeah. So I love to build processes and systems around it and also sort of anticipate where those holes could be. So one thing I learned really quickly was I never want to be in the position where a client's expecting me to call them back. Right. So I always want to shift it to, hey, I can't really talk today, but on Friday, I'm going to be free. Reach out and give me a call on Friday. Why don't you call me then? That way you don't have to remember. Right. And that would be something that a secretary would have traditionally handled for me. Like, hey, schedule this call, put this on. Um, But then that sort of take this now puts it on them. And you know what? The client is not going to forget. Even if it's a quick text. Even if it's a quick text. So. When they email me, hey, Aaron, are you going to be free tomorrow for a call? Hey, yeah, I should be free in the afternoon. Just you call, call me, me at your convenience. And I'm always very clear You're about that. You're outsourcing the responsibility to them. And, and, and they're going to remember And they are going to remember to call. And then I get apology emails when they don't call. You know, they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I forgot to call. Um, but, you know, that's one of the biggest complaints that clients have about attorneys. And it is so easy Number one source of our complaints. Yeah. 
They forget to, you're not calling them back. So I never put myself in a position where I could forget that because even in my 20s, I could have, I, I didn't even use a calendar. I remembered all dates in my head, but that just doesn't stay with you the busier life gets and the older you get. Um, so you develop these sort of safeguards to make sure I'm not in that position where I'm forgetting to call someone who's waiting on me. Um, you know, do, I also you, use. But do you grow off the, I mean, you obviously you're off the grid sometimes. Like if you're in the middle of a trial. <coughs> Like when you're in the mm-hmm, trial, mm-hmm. and you, I guess as soon as you pick it up and you see, yeah. what do you do? Like you pick it, what do you what do you do if you pick up the phone and there's like 20 texts from 20 different clients and you, you, know, have, day, you, you just, have day two of your trial tomorrow. You 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 send out that you cut and paste and I say hi, I got your text. I'm so sorry, I've been in trial all day. Call me. I'm gonna call. be available at this point. Give me a call. And you just like cut and paste and you get through it. And again. For the most part, none of these people have emergencies. It's just, but they do need to hear from you. They don't care if that answer is sort of a non-answer of "let's talk later." You, it's it's um, an answer, and you've communicated, right. and you know they know you haven't forgotten about them. Correct. But then you say, "Call me." Yeah, and I, like, look, I used to work in a very high volume practice, and so I definitely understand the pain that occurs where there's just so where you are getting twenty texts when you're in trial. Um, but I also think that there's an important thing for solos to remember in designing your practice and your law practice about what, how many clients do you want? And there's this notion as a solo, well, you should just be taking any money that walks through the door. And that is, I think, a real mistake where we get to those solos who are they're just buried in work, but they don't feel like they have enough clients, they're not making enough money. And you know, you want to make sure that you're, you're good at solving the problems you're good at. You can, you can price to the right price point. I, so I have a new lawyer, uh-huh. a former student who's like working with me. Mm-hmm. You'll love this. She doesn't even have an office in my office. I said, look, you can, I actually told her, you can come take over my office if you'd like. I do appellate law, so I can do what I... Well, you can probably say, I mean, this iPad is my office. Correct, yes. My office is where... Now, the only reason I even have an office, period, is because clients want to meet you in them from time That's right. to time. But I, I actually told her today, because we, we were vetting a, a, a client in contact, a potential client in contact at us... And I had her call this person back and get all the information. And I didn't even tell her what to, what to, I should just get the things you think we would need to know. And then we got together about it. And we, it, we, we sort of compared notes and it turned out this wasn't going to be the client for us. Sure. And I said, listen, I think we're going to decline this. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's give this person a couple of options to go to. Yep. And what I told her, I said, you know what, we, you define your success as much by the client you don't take as the, oh, one, yeah. as the one you do. And it's okay to decline a case. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, if, if there's some, if you have this, I think this is another Malcolm Gladwell blink sort of a concept. Uh-huh. If you, if you're sensing something doesn't feel right yeah. about a potential client, there's probably a reason. Yeah. And like at any time I've been miserable with a client is because I ignored that red flag. That's right. And we all know that. I mean, that's not, we all know that that's true, but it is, it's hard to, and I think solos and lawyers in particular, we love to operate from a position of scarcity, which is if I don't take this client, I'm not going to eat, you know, and I'm going to be homeless tomorrow. That's right. And Mm -hmm. there is something to be said from trying to adopt a mindset of abundance and, and just even opening that space to let that happen because it, it will happen, and people will find you, and you will have the time to provide and, the kind of client maybe, experience. And they maybe, want. and maybe the perfect lawyer for this client today is one of the two people I, I refer this client. Exactly, um, and that's another thing that lawyers don't think about. I think in terms of their our strengths and playing to our strengths. Not every lawyer is equal. We know that in the community, mm-hmm. and yet to the outside world, we try to pretend like we want every single client to come to our door. 
you know, if you're, I will just say, if you're a client who doesn't care about client experience and like you, you just want somebody to go in there and yell at the prosecutor and police officer, that's, uh, that's not a good client for me because Mm -hmm. that's not, that's Mm -hmm. not part of the value that you get when you Mm -hmm. hire me. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of clients who don't care about explanations and they don't want to know about the process. Um, And so you want to really figure out what your own personal strengths are and then market to the clients who are going to appreciate the strengths that you have to bring to the table. Because not everybody needs, I would say, doing appellate work, that I love to bring in teams. When, when, when appellate cases come across my desk, I could toil away for 40 hours trying to piece together a brief that won't be nearly as good as Andrew Fleischman's brief after working, he works right. an hour and a half on it. Right. Well, that, that is a silly waste of my time. I'm ignoring my other clients. Um, I'm probably not charging effectively, and if I'm charging effectively for that much time, well, then they're getting a terrible deal. Well, you're gonna, you open an appellate case. You, you're, you are the person, when you open an appellate case, you're going to be with that person. It's almost like a little mini marriage. Yeah. You're going to be with that person for two to three years. Yeah. So It's like a Fulton County DUI. Right. It's like a Fulton County. Yeah, it starts off in city court. That's right. Right. <laughs> so you, just, you have to sort of tailor it. And, it, and uh-huh. if, if I take every single case. Yeah. Um, you are. You're promising I'm going to stress about the things that you're stressing about. Like you're you're taking on all their mm-hmm. emotional drama mm-hmm. and... Um, it's it, you got to get paid for it, and it's got to be something that you're willing to do. So, where do you get the work done? Do you come here to work? I mean, Ooh, good question. Do, do you do you get up and go? Okay, I have to be at my office at mm. such and such time. Um, so, one of the nice things, no, I do not. One of the nice things about being paperless is that it has let me work from anywhere, and actually, um, I do a lot of speaking uh, nationally, and that's been great because I get to bring. And my husband does a lot of speaking, so we bring each other on speaking trips. Uh-huh. And like, there I am in Vancouver, and I open up my laptop, and I am working from my office in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. on that day so I do um, I work where where I want to and actually so does uh, Marnie we both have that's why this office share works so well because we have a lot of places that we like to work and it really depends on the kind of work I want to do if I want to be without distractions mm-hmm. and I need to do writing I might just do that from home once well you know I told this lawyer that this new lawyer in my office um, I said listen I, I said I, I guess I'm always conscious like oh my gosh what do I met her parents when she was sworn in uh-huh. they're great uh-huh. and I told her I said like you don't have an office. I really am rarely at an office. Uh-huh. I thought that she would think that that was weird. No, I'm she sure she loved it. Super appreciative. Well, it's like you're you are the model of who should be hiring millennials because and right. you know as many as many as often as we hear lawyers complain about millennials, there's a lot of really good things that they're pushing and and one of those things is being able to work remotely and if you're a law firm that wants to be drawing in new talent for millennials you better have flexible work environments I thought she would just think that was the weirdest thing Mm -hmm. she was like no no of course I I don't want to come to an office in fact she might not those same people will not take jobs that require that kind of face well she said I'm about to I'm about to I think I'm, I'm about to like be in Birmingham with my family. Mm-hmm. Is that okay with you if I go? Mm-hmm. I'm like, why are you at? Like, why are That's you right. This? I don't care. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. care if I need if I need you face to face. Well, yeah. She has an Apple. She has an iPhone. I said, we'll we'll FaceTime. Yeah. I, I met with a client today that I wanted her to meet. She's going to be working on the file. Uh-huh. She's like, well, do you need me to drive in? I'm like, if you want to, but you know what? This this I, this iPad FaceTime. that I'm recording on, I, I sat her in front mm-hmm. of a chair. That's right. And there she was. Well, and that's gonna that's really valuable as an as an employer for you being open to that because there are so many lawyers and and we see them. They're our colleagues, 
and they're losing people. They can't keep good people, and those people are jumping and going solo because mm-hmm. the profit margins don't make sense anymore. You can't make it makes a zero huge sense. amount. It makes zero sense to have a law office the way. No, yeah, it doesn't. It but but people get stuck in their heads with this is how we've uh, always done it. You know, mm-hmm. just like in courts, you say, well, I don't know why we do it this way. This is just how we've always done it. Um, but they those firms will not stay competitive because you just cannot keep the staff. People will come and they will be so happy to jump shit, and that and you see that in all these small firms around town. Well, I teach law students. Uh-huh. I'm an adjunct, uh-huh. and I teach in the clinical environment yeah. at Mercer. Uh-huh. So um, I'm I'm working constantly with three L's, representing clients. Yeah. And the first thing I tell them is, look, I mean, set up a Google Voice number. I, you know, yeah. they, they all know about that for sure. the most part, but I love millennials. Yeah. No, they, um, I do. I hear lawyers complain. And first of all, that just makes us sound old, right? When right. complaining about millennials, that just makes us sound like our parents or our grandparents. Um, but, but beyond that, the, they're really doing super awesome, innovative things. And when you think about one of the issues that I'm really passionate about is uh, access to justice. Mm-hmm. And when we have sort of these, all these old lawyer things that are expensive, lawyer think kinds of things that are expensive and require people to be in the office and require them to dress a certain way and have these sort of formal mm-hmm. procedures, we're really putting up barriers to being able to actually, what's important is help people. Um, so there's all kinds of, millennials are creating all kinds of new legal services and offerings that just don't fit the traditional norms mm-hmm. at all. And they're mm-hmm. really cool. Mm-hmm. And it is the wave of the future. And so I sort of think of, I'll, I'll admit to you on this podcast, um, I sort of think of a lot of these sort of more conservative, even big law is a really good example of these sort of like old white guys on a, on a moving <laughs> sidewalk just dropping off into an abyss, pretending like, oh, well, this is how we've all done it. And this is how it will always be in the future, which, you know, we know the only constant thing is change. So anything in law, though, is a profession that loves to depend on precedent. But like anything that, well, this is how we've always done it, or this is, if you're basing your firm on a model that was successful 10 years ago, then you're probably doing it wrong. If we were creating law offices, yeah. if we were like, if, if the profession, like we were just creating it from the ground up right now, it would not look anything like. No. No, we, I mean, the ethics would be completely different. The rules of engagement mm-hmm. and how we interact. Um, and what I've been experimenting with is sort of new models for a law firm because I don't believe in, I, I, I'm lucky enough to be in a position where I, I, the bottleneck now for my office is intakes. That there's a bunch of I am I'm not able to keep up with those intakes, but mm-hmm. I also am in a position where I don't I don't want to bring on overhead. I love the flexibility of being solo. So, what uh, what's been developing organically, and in 2018 will be a little bit more formal is um, a network of trusted attorneys who we work on teams. So I mentioned Andrew Fleischman is someone who I've teamed up with very effectively. He's a great appellate lawyer. I am not. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Ben Sessions is also somebody I team up with. Also, mm-hmm. uh, there's a bunch of women who I mentor who are really good at handling things. And there are ways for all of us to work together. And I think that is where the practice of law, especially criminal defense, where it is small law firms and solos, that is where we're heading. Mm-hmm. And you can build a team around the client's problems as opposed to trying to cram your client's problems into your limited expertise at your firm. Right. So. Um, I think it creates better legal services. You can even do this with paralegals. There's a, there's a paralegal mm-hmm. that I will contact on a case-by-case basis yeah. who is, works from our home, uh-huh. and it works uh-huh. out great. Yeah. No, um, there's also uh, Aggregate Law is one of my favorite uh, new companies, and uh, it's the owner, Jen Down, she's actually, her husband's a lawyer, and they live in Kirkwood, uh, but she has a national company, and she places lawyers, so you can post a job as a law firm for $99, 
And she has this network across the country of attorneys who are qualified, a lot of whom actually are very highly trained, like big law trained. So hundreds of thousands of dollars of education, and then they take time away from the practice to go raise families. But they have three to four hours to kill writing briefs, right, or helping lawyers across the country. So I just opened an appellate case this week that uh-huh. has a 30,000-page transcript. That. I'm going to follow up with you on you that. Should, you just, should know. And aggregate, it's this great uh-huh. way. And it's funny, when I talk to Jen about it, though, the biggest problem, she's like, I have all of these lawyers. The biggest problem is people posting jobs because, you know, it's a lot of this old lawyer thing of, well, I, how, how would that work? And, you know, people are... Lawyers are very reluctant to embrace change, but when you look around at the lawyers who are innovating, it is a huge competitive advantage, and they are just crushing it. Uh, Christina Scalera of The Contract Shop, she has a more sophisticated version of, um, I don't even want to compare it to Legal Zoom, but mm-hmm. she sells contracts that are specifically tailored to the creatives. Mm-hmm. And she's you know a relatively new lawyer, but she's crushing it on social media. She's crushing it at The Contract Shop. It's like $400 templates. And it's 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 brilliant, mm-hmm. um, and you really find that the a lot of millennials, but not only millennials, um, actually a lot of also uh, women lawyers, which you wouldn't necessarily always think like, oh, legal tech, you're going to see a lot more women, but we're seeing a ton of women innovating and creating these highly profitable businesses mm-hmm. um, by not following the same old pattern that we see that that moving sidewalk by getting off that moving sidewalk Mm -hmm. and just looking around and thinking hey how can I get make money solving people's problems as a lawyer well Aaron I really appreciate it what um, where can people find you Uh, people can find me um, I'm on Twitter at EHG law firm um, and that's, you know, you can find me there and um, everywhere I need to be I guess and uh, in addition to in addition to like representing clients. I mean, you actually are, you do some consulting with law firms as well. I do. And I, well, I do, um, I do a lot of coaching, uh, for, for a lot of solos who are coming out. Um, and I also help and advise lawyers on uh, disciplinary complaints. Um, cause I do, I love to talk and I, one of the things I lecture on the country are legal ethics, um, and legal technology, but we just ran join Atlanta legal tech group. It's a free group. Um, that's one of the organizations in town that I've run with two other women and we're hosting events and trying to help people who really, you know, don't even have a laptop, bring them from not having a laptop to feeling competent and comfortable, uh, redesigning their firm and making it work for them. All right. Well, I really appreciate it. Thanks Great. so much. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the GACDL podcast. To hear future episodes, please be sure to subscribe. Tell your friends about us. For more information about our host, Scott Key, you can visit his website, millerandkeylaw.com. For more information about the GACDL, please visit our website, gacdl.org. The sole purpose of this podcast is to entertain, educate, and inform. It is no substitute for professional advice from a criminal defense lawyer. Guests who speak on the podcast express their own opinions, experiences, and conclusions. The GACDL neither endorses or opposes any legal strategies discussed on this podcast. If you need legal representation, please retain licensed counsel. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you join us next time.